Last week we spoke about two things when in terms of happiness and that's what this holiday is all about. It's Zman Simchatenu, the time of our happiness. And the very first thing we said was deal with your situation. That's why it's called the time of happiness because in the sukkah, in that temporary space that I'm in, I don't go and find a more beautiful, no, right now, here, in this space, I'm gonna make myself happy and I make it look beautiful, I make the sukkah look beautiful, I make it look glamorous, like you can see behind us. And that's the idea. I take my situation and I make it the best situation that I can. That's when I'm gonna be happy. If I think I'm gonna look for another situation to find happiness, it's not gonna get to me. So that was the first point we said. And the second point we said is that it's only happiness, like it says in Hebrew, sameach, one of the ways that we use that word, we, we mix two words there inside that word, sham moach, where your mind isn't just here in this physical world. Your mind is also somewhere else. Where is the somewhere else? That there's more to the physicality than I see. That's why sukkah also means to see through. One of the names that, Abraham gave, or his wife, Sarah, was, was called, was Yiska. Yiska means to also, to look through things. She used to look through, she used to have such a spiritual energy that she would see through things in a much more spiritual way. And that's the second thing that we said, is to see this world as temporary. It's the person that sees this world as everything that is filled with absolute disappointment. It's when you believe that my joy is going to come from my stake and you, you invest all your work into the stake. I'm only giving an example, right? But you invest all your work into the stake. You work so hard to have it and everything and then you have it and then now what? So how much chocolate could somebody eat? How much food can we eat? How much of anything physical can we have? The, the example is like a commoner that marries the daughter of the king and he gets picked to marry the daughter the, the the princess and he doesn't know what to give her because anything physical he gives her she could say i have that already you know like you know it's like it's like giving gifts to your mom what do you give to your mom as a gift she has everything right anyone go through the same problem you want to give to, a gift to your mom she has the handbags already she has already 10,000 shoes she has everything there's nothing you can give her so that's because physicality, she's reached an age where physicality has kind of satiated her. And what else can she, what else can she receive? So that's how our bodies are. If I feed myself with just physicality, I'm the son of a king. I'm the daughter of a, of a king. I'm the creation of Hashem. And when I recognize that really who I am is much greater than physical, then no physicality can satiate me. I can run and chase it and chase it and chase it. But you know what? The more I have it, the more I get sick of it. So that's why the word sameach also means sham moach, that your brain isn't just here. It's also there. I see physical, but I like the sukkah. I see through it. The roof of the sukkah has to be something that you can see through to the stars. Can't be too thick where you can't see the stars. So it has to be that you see through the physical reality, see something greater. So those were the two ideas that we said that leads to happiness, or at least gives me happiness, is one, that I deal with my situation that I'm in. I'm in a temporary space, make that awesome. 
Make it beautiful. I don't care where I am. I'm not going to think of another place to be happy. I'm going to make myself happy here. I'm going to dance in the rain. So that was the first thing. And the second thing is that we said is that we've got to recognize that this world is all temporary. This, by the way, seven represents 70. Seven means a completion, like the whole week. It means the entire life. This entire life of mine is all temporary. What we, what's so beautiful is that if you think about it on a deeper level, the rabbis say, based on the Torah, basukot teshvu shivat yamim, teshvu kein taduru, sit in huts for seven days, as if you're living in your house. Make it your house. And our rabbis say, this is fascinating. It says, leave your permanent space and go into a temporary space. What really happens is if you experience Sukkot properly, you realize that this, what I'm doing here is permanent. And what I do in my own physical house is really temporary. The experience of Sukkot will switch the idea around. Do you get what I'm saying here? It would switch it around. It would make you realize that your real home, that sheltered home that you're in, that real house, that's temporary. That's really not with me forever. And this, Sukkot, connecting to God, finding meaning, finding joy, connecting to the spiritual worlds, that is permanent because that connects to my sham moach, samerach, the, the other worlds that are beyond this physical world. So when a person recognizes and and internalizes that this is not everything, boom, everything changes. It's the people that invest their entire lifetime into the physical that get disappointment because the greater the expectation, how does depression work? Great expectations. The greater the expectation, the greater the disappointment. So if I'm like, oh my gosh, that chocolate's gonna be amazing. I wait for months and end for this one chocolate. Oh my goodness, yeah, I have it. And then I'm like, oh, not that good. So that's exactly what, and by the way, I love chocolate, right? I love chocolate. But that's exactly what we're saying here is that we've got to recognize that this world is temporary. It's not permanent. And, and that's when I sit in the sukkah in a temporary space, I actually make this real and that I realize is really just fake. And especially here in LA where everything is so glamorous and glorious and beautiful and so on, we have to especially here realize that this is how the world is. Okay, so that's so far two things. Deal with the situation you're in. Don't try and find another place to be to be happy. And the other thing we said was temporary world. This world is temporary. If I make this world permanent, I'm going to get disappointed. It's the people that make their entire lifetime physicality and then it doesn't even work out. It never works out because you get old. You, you save your whole entire lifetime so that you can enjoy being on a vacation. When? When you're old, when you can't even walk? That's the entire lifetime is working so that eventually when you're retired, when you can't even barely walk, go on a vacation. Does that make sense to anybody here? That's our life. It doesn't make sense. Somebody who lives an entire world devoted to materialism alone is going to be very disappointed at some point because the physicality never feeds me, it never satiates me, it never will. I just need it to utilize it for something else, but never make it my goal. And that's what we're talking about here. 
So those are the two things that lead me to happiness. Now let's talk about what holds me back from happiness. And if you clearly see what I just said, happiness is, basimcha is to be in a state, machshavah, to be thinking. If you look at the word basimcha in happiness, it spells out the same letters as machshavah, thinking. Because happiness is a state of mind. It's the way you're thinking. That's what happiness is. It's not, I'm... I need a better situation. It's where, the way I'm thinking about my situation. It's not, you can have two people in the same job. One's happy, one's sad. The one that's happy is because he is finding joy and he's dancing in the rain. He's dancing in his situation. He's not looking for another place to be. So, our rabbis teach us, who is wealthy, not someone who has a lot, because the more you have, the more you'll want. It says somebody, if, and nobody dies with more than half his desires in his hand. Meaning, if you desire something, you'll want double that. It's never enough. So no one leaves this world with it, it, at least half of his desires is in him. Because, oh, I have 100,000? Well, if you know what happens when you have 100,000, it's nothing. Right? It's like, it's like this game where the teacher asks the kids in the class, what would you do if you had a million dollars? And at first people said, okay, I'll buy a yacht, I'll buy this, I'll buy that. And then all of a sudden, everyone comes to the realization, I, I might need more. If I'm living that lifestyle, I'm going to need more. You know, it's a million dollars isn't that much for living a very high lifestyle, a very high standard lifestyle. So what do I need? Much more. Oh, the rabbis say, if you have one, you'll want two. If you have 100, you'll want 200. If you have 200, you'll want 400. If you have a million dollars, how much will you want? Double. Always double. How much will you want? Million. How much? Two million. If you have 500,000, how much do you want? Hello? If you have 500,000, you want double. How much will you want? A million. A million. A million. But you want 500,000 more. You want to have a million, right? So who's wealthier? The person that has a million dollars and wants two? Who wants more? The person that has a million and wants two million? Or the person with 500,000 and only wants another 500,000? Who's wealthier? Who's lacking more? You hear what's going on? Yeah, the guy that's oh, a millionaire. Wow. So the more you get, the less wealthy you If you desire more. If you don't learn to be satiated with what you have and you desire more, then that person who has more is suffering more than the person who has less. You get that? If you're not satisfied with what you have, you're suffering more than those that are poorer than you. Because those that are poorer than you are only desiring double the amount that they have. A homeless guy, what's he thinking of? You know, when am I going to get into a nicer tent? Maybe, when am I going to get into a real home? What are we thinking of? You know, when am I going to get my vacation home? When am I going to buy my vacation home? When am I going to go on a yacht? When am I going to, you know, so it's... It's the more you have, the more you desire. If, you're de if you allow desires to take over you and not contemplate and enjoy what you have already. That's why it says, en adam, a person never leaves this world with half his desires in his, 
in his hands. Meaning, whatever you desire, you'll want double. Oh, but I'm happy with a million. Yeah, but if you still want another million, then you are a million short. The other guy's got 500,000. is only 500,000 short. That's why simcha is to be happy with what you have, not with what you don't have. Finally, finding joy in what you already have in your life, not looking to find joy in what you don't yet have. All this makes sense? Okay, now it makes sense, and we understand why the wealthier sometimes are more depressed. Interesting. How could it be that the wealthier, because they have more, so they desire much more. Because you always desire double the amount that you have. The standards you live are much higher, and therefore you deserve, and you are entitled to double the amount. It's simple. Simple math. So the only way to overcome our happiness and to overcome our problems is to start being happy with what I have in my life. Basimcha, machshava, ashir. What's wealthy in Hebrew? Ashir stands for enaim, shinaim, yadaim, and raglaim. Eyes, teeth, hands, and feet. Why? It should say money. No, those simple things. Because if I learn to find joy, think about it. How much money would somebody who doesn't have a vision pay to have vision again? You ever see those videos where people are given their first time their hearing aid and they're able to hear for the first time? Or those people, you know, those happy videos that are given out. Those are the best, by the way. Those are things that makes the internet worth it. That and Torah. So, you, you know, what I'm talking about like this orphan kid finds his dad, his original dad, for the first time after like 30 years, and you see the video, and it's like music in the background, and and it makes you cry, right? That's that's one of the reasons why there's there's the internet. That's one of the reasons to spread light. Anyway, so uh, um, where was I? So think about it. What was I saying? I don't remember. Lost myself. Anyway. Um, so, the way I'm thinking is what's going to make me happy. And if I'm happy with what I have, that's how... So, if you think about it, no matter how much money I get... Oh, that's what I was saying. No matter how much money I give you, my eyes are worth it all. Everything. I've got a friend who didn't have children for many years. And he sold his house in order to go through IVF. Him and his wife. They wanted children. Yes, in a world that thinks that people don't need children, there's actually people that are begging and desperate to have children. And hopefully no one will go through this. We think, oh, it's just a switch. How many kids am I going to have? How many kids are you going to have? It doesn't work like that. Not everybody is able to have children, unfortunately. So um, I know somebody who, who didn't have children for many, many years. He sold his house in order to go through IVF and, and, and to have children. Sold his house. Do you, get, do you guys get that? Sell your house to have children? So there's certain things in our own bodies that we would rather have than, than money. There's things that money cannot buy. And think about it. If I'm able to contemplate about the things I have, because they're worth much more. I know a guy in, our, uh, uh, in Oregon um, who never had a finger. Had his, he had to have his finger removed. doesn't have a finger. And um, his whole, he told me, you, you, you've got no idea how one finger makes a difference to your life. One finger. How long it took me to adapt, and I've still not fully adapted to the fact that that finger is missing. 
We don't, we don't realize like what a thumb does. It allows me to grip everything. Our, our legs, our, our fingers, our eyes, our ears. These are things that people will pay billions for. They research and pay millions to research to have them. And we have them with us. Do we think about them? Do we think about, oh, my heart? But if you do, you'll start being happy. So, so who's happy? Who's wealthy? Someone who finds joy in what they have in their life already. And that's what we want to do, is find joy in what we have. So here's the big question. What is taking us away from finding joy in our lives? And I've taken this from a rabbi called Rabbi Jonathan Rietti. I highly suggest you listening to his talks. But he listed five things in our lives. And I would wonder, I do wonder, what you guys think are the things that sabotages our happiness. Because this is it. This is what Judaism wants. Right? We, it wants us to be happy. When we come into Israel, we were meant to bring the first fruits. And we're meant to show joy and happiness in all the good that God gave us. So what stops us? from recognizing the fact that we have eyes, the, the fact that we have teeth, and the fact that we have a home. What stops us from enjoying the life that we already, as far as it is, already is? What stops us? What sabotages our happiness? Can anyone tell me? Because we've got to combat these to remember, to always know how I can practically stay happy. It's going to be uh, elusive. It's going to be something which is hard to grasp because different situations arise. But that's exactly what I want to ask you. What do you think is holding us back from happiness? Any ideas? Yeah, I can think of two things. Go for it. Uh, one is chasing falsehoods, like chasing wealth or beauty or status or honor. Okay, so chasing honor. That's good. And then another is um, comparing ourselves, like wanting what other people have. Very good. Okay. Anyone else? Hey, yeah. Um, I would say, wait, is the prompt what's keeping us from being happy? What is, yeah, what is holding us back? Like why sometimes do we get upset? What are these things that suddenly take away our happiness? And we said, happiness is a state of mind, finding joy in what we already have. Hi, Jordan, good to see you. So finding joy in what we already have. Okay, that's what happiness is. Not contemplating on what I don't have. It's about contemplating on what I do have. So what stops us from finding joy in what we had? We said, in some ways, people compare themselves to others, and that's not good. It makes me think, oh, I need to be like them, and I forget what I have. Uh, chasing falsehoods like beauty, honor, and wealth. These are very good. Anything else? Lack of emunah. Okay, yes. Emunah is everything. So lack of emunah. And, and could you elaborate that? Why do you think a lack of emunah will hold me back from being happy? Because you're relying on yourself and energies of, of material or like physical things to kind of satiate you or uh, so you're saying two things here one is because when you lack emunah you're relying on yourself you mean you're taking on everything on your own and right and then the other thing is that you're you're relying too much on physicality you're you're you know you're pu you're putting your faith into things you think you can control 
Okay, so that's and, what you're saying. Faith. And, yeah. And also, uh, that connects to, like, a lack of gratitude also. Oh, gratitude. Okay. Gratitude. Look how many things we got here. Yeah. Okay, gratitude. Anything else? I would say not living in the present, and I'm guilty of this as well. Not present. Like, yeah. No. Um, Don't worry. By the way, I've never seen one person that's happy all the time, 24 hours a day. Never. And if I have, I've not seen him 24 hours a day. So I don't know what he's like behind scenes. But I don't believe everyone is happy all the time, right? And here's one of them, because we're not present in the moment. We're thinking about another place that we want to be. So whether it's in the future of time and so on. So when you say you're guilty, it's like you basically just said, I'm human. Hey, so it's human. Yay. Okay, so uh, anyone else? Yeah, I would say um, like relationships with people are really important. Good, so community. Of, yeah, and also like having a lack of wisdom and navigating relationships. So you're saying you think wisdom is a separate point here? Uh, yeah. Okay, I well, think so too. I was applying it to relationships, but it's also a into everything. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in relationships, what do you mean? Like just having people in your life, like relationships with other people or relationships with, in terms of dating and marriage? Um, both. Yeah, I was thinking more, um, yeah, just, just, just including all the relationships, just having positive people and supportive people in your life. Right, so definitely, uh, what they discovered, and you can see this a lot, is that it, it just one second, my laptop is dying. Still dying? One second. Yes, not dying. Okay, we're still here. So, yeah, definitely we're saying that relationships are a key component. And you can see that in a lot of studies. They find that people that are more community-based, they have something that they're part of, a community that they're part of. The, uh, these are happier people. Even though, um, you know, introverts or the people that are naturally like that uh, would say or claim that they're happy the way they are, it could be. But when it's when those that come out of their comfort zone, they have that connection with others, there is some kind of uh, chemical that's released in the brain. And it's, it's very important. We are social birds. We are social beings. And we need that social aspect. So you're very right. Relationships and having the wisdom to deal with the relationships in the right way is very important. So what else takes away our wisdom? Uh, sorry, our happiness and avoids us from being happy in our situation, contemplating the good that we have. Anything else? Maybe just not trusting in ourselves, as in like we always think about, like we, <laughs> I'm sure everyone thinks does this too, like if you're in the shower or like you're just waking up or like you're going to sleep, it's like you always think about like an argument you had or something someone said and you focus on the negative someone said, not the 99% of the rest of your day that was good. You're always thinking, Maybe like you're so not you're saying you're too on harsh on yourself, people that are too yeah. harsh. Yeah, or if you're contemplating on the past, you're contemplating on the negatives, sort of. Okay, so 
Let's say, reason. how would we put that in? Like maybe you don't you don't trust your. I guess you don't trust. There's many points here. Focusing on the negative. Yeah. Focusing on the negative, maybe not trusting the outcome, not trusting the future, or not trusting. So that's yourself. very much to do with what Gabe said, which is putting your efforts in or your faith yeah. into situations which are out of your control, right? Like let's say you went on a date and then for hours and then afterwards. And you're saying afterwards, especially, you're thinking of, oh, I should have said this, or I should have acted in this yeah. way. I should have, but that's that wasn't I would say your control. Not in yourself, and also I'm not in, you know, Hashem or you know. Right, and well, that definitely is the the, the antidote. That's the the cure, but the the contemplation of I should have done this better, or I should have done that better, which many times is out of our control, is what can remove our happiness. Okay, that's good. We, we, we're getting all the points. We get between all of them, we're touching on the five things that Rabbi Rieti says. And they really are all the things that take away my ability to focus on the good that I have in my life and focus on the bad. Is there anything else? Brittany, you've come on screen. Hi. Hello. Good to see you. Uh, good to see you. Um, I was thinking maybe like social pressure social is something pressure. that would add to it. Like, for example... Um, like if I come home from a really good day and my roommate had a bad day, I feel bad about flaunting my happiness around them. Um, and I just kind of like tone it down almost and help them deal with their bad day. And then don't even address my happiness and my good day. Mm -hmm. So not being able to share, you would say, not being able to share your happiness or express it, holding mm -hmm. back for your expression. I have a question, though, for you, Brittany. Do you think sure. your happiness needs to be expressed? Or, you know, because definitely Judaism says that to be in a state of happiness is a thought. It's a mindset. But mm -hmm. you, f you think you need to express it. I don't think it always needs to be expressed, but every once in a while it is good to like good. celebrate it and really enjoy it and live in that moment good so we have a statement in judaism which is that there's many ways that it's said and it's written in a number of books mentions this the the externality actually influences the way you feel on the inside so the way like if you would force yourself to smile all day like you know, it would actually impact you inside and you'll start smiling inside. So, or if you just force yourself to say, it just, it was awesome. It's awesome. Awesome. Amazing. Amazing. And you really don't think it's that amazing. You'll actually start thinking um, that it's amazing. Maimonides alludes to this as well in his, in his book of Hilchot Deot on, on how we work as people. He's, he says that when you meet somebody in order... Part of loving someone is to contemplate and, and think and contemplate how amazing that person is in front of you before you meet them. You know, when you go into a meeting, uh, normally you're nervous. You don't know how it's going to work out. And some people can have this negative thought of who this person is. Maybe it's a monster. It's going to be this rude, strict person that's going to be in front of me. Actually, what you should do is imagine yourself as this really, just picture yourself as this really tough successful confident person from within also a soul-filled person 
that's for sure. But the confidence, the sense of confidence that you're expressing, you should think about that. And then when you actually come into that meeting, also think that this is a beautiful human being that I'm going to be seeing. This is a beautiful... And that thought that you go through before you actually get into the meeting could change how the meeting is going to go. And that's also how we should feel about loving our friends and the people around us. The way to achieve that mitzvah is to actually contemplate the positive attributes of that person just like I would about myself. I don't go around disgracing myself, at least mostly. Most people don't. I need to contemplate about the other like I would contemplate about myself. Like, you look in the mirror, you never... No one looks in the mirror and says, as far as I know, like, oh, I am so ugly. You know? But uh, I, yeah, I, am so, so, I am so ridiculous looking. No, actually, when people look in the mirror, they, they, you know, they make themselves, you know, they do the hair. They, they make themselves look special. Why, why do you put the effort into yourself? Because you believe that there is an internal beauty inside of you. There is some kind of love. There's some kind of speciality inside of you. So we need to do that with others. We need to do that with other people. And that way, we would love them more. So the key here is what you're saying is that we do need to express our happiness sometimes because that way it will internalize that happiness within me as well. Because naturally, like we said, there's a bunch of things that hold us back from being happy. And sometimes we've got to express it in order to be happy within. But what we should remember, and this is important for you, Brittany, is that that we, we, sh we need to remember my happiness is not dependent on others. If I am only happy if I can express it on Facebook, if I'm, I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about what you just said. I'm just talking about in general. If I say I'm only happy if, then what is controlling my happiness? I'm only happy if I have $100,000. What's controlling my happiness? The money. The money, the $100,000. If I have a brand new car, what's the Tesla, right? What's controlling my happiness? The Tesla. So if, if my happiness is dependent on anything else, then I can never be happy because it's not in my control. Then no one could tell me to be happy. No one can demand happiness of me. It's not in my control. What can I do? But if I want to take responsibility of my life, I want to take responsibility of my happiness. So the way to do that is to actually contemplate about what I have, is, is to contemplate how my happiness is not dependent on the money. It's not dependent on somebody else knowing how happy I am. It's dependent on me knowing how happy I am. So how can I... Make sure that I always know that I'm happy, right? It's not dependent on them. It's not dependent on showing it to my friend. And that's what I, I feel is really important. Sometimes, yes, I cannot express my happiness to others. You know, surprise! I just went to my mom and I gave her such a great hug. And I'm talking to somebody who lost their parents. Like, that would be weird, you know? Like, that's cruel. So, yes, I can't express my happiness to others. I don't need them to enhance my feeling of happiness. Sometimes I do need to express it because we said the external influences the internal. But at the end of the day, the happiness needs to be from within. And I don't need to depend on somebody to make that happiness exist. I need to just have it from within. And that comes through my own contemplations when no one's around. When I'm alone, I can express it in the fields. 
I can express it to God. That's an important aspect. I think that that's a big part. Like Gabe was saying, is that you lacking a lack of emunah also holds back my place of gratitude. Who can I give my gratitude to if I can't always share my happiness to others? So, so where am I going to go? And that's why the, the God factor is actually so important. So here I'm going to list off the five things that we've got. So we've got here a whole bunch. Let me read what everyone said. And I'm going to use this. I'm going to save this and write this all down. So we've got a lack of emunah, uh, relying on yourself too much, um, thinking that you are in control of everything. We said uh, focusing on the negative, holding back your happiness because of social pressure. We said comparing yourself to others, uh, chasing falsehoods like beauty, honor, wealth. That's actually clearly in the, ta the, the Mishnah in Pekavot, by the way, uh, Chloe. It says... Um, three things remove you from this world one of them is jealousy one of them is desire and one of them is ego or honor what does it mean it takes you out of this world it doesn't kill you if I'm jealous it doesn't kill me but what it does is it doesn't allow me to enjoy the area that I'm in in my life, which is exactly what Simcha is. It doesn't let me... When I'm focusing on my friend's success that just got married or my friend's success that's in a great relationship, so I'm not thinking about where I am in my life. So the jealousy puts my life in somebody else's and not in mine. So like you're saying, it takes me out of my world. I, I don't exist anymore. My jealousy has removed me from myself. That's why it's such a big challenge. Uh, desires. Desires also take me out of my world because I'm so into wanting something, I don't enjoy what I have. And ego and honor also, I'm so into getting the respect from everybody else that I forget who I am and I forget to respect myself. So those are three things that definitely remove me from being able to enjoy what I have. We said also... Uh, no trust, no gratitude, um, and also we said not present, that was Sarit, and relationships and wisdom. So we said wisdom in general can be, a lack of wisdom can definitely hold me back from happiness because a lack of happiness is a lot to do with the emotion and when I have a good intellectual capacity, meaning through study and through constant listening to Torah and stuff like that, I'm able to overcome my emotions through my intellect. And the emotion, the intellect will remind me of my happiness and that would overcome my feeling of I'm lacking something in this world. And the, the other thing we said is relationships, knowing how to deal with relationships. I think there's something that we missed because that's not in the four things, five things that this rabbi mentions. But there's something that we missed and that is challenges how we deal with challenges in life, okay? So when a challenge comes our way, how do we deal with it? That takes away our happiness, or we think it does, because we don't know how to deal with it. We don't see a purpose in the challenge. We think, ah, oh, it's not going my way. I'm looking for comfort. It's not going my way. So um, that would also take away our happiness. So we have to learn how to deal with suffering as well, and Judaism does. It finds purpose in suffering as opposed to the world which says there is no purpose in anything. So then they 
every time something goes wrong, there is no way of responding to it besides for just being unhappy and digging deeper into your unhappiness. So let me go through the five things that I have here, and they are really good, okay? So they're basically what you all said, but I'm just going to go through these because I like them really well, really, uh, a lot, and they're amazing, okay? So number one is we make our happiness a moving target. Like we say, life in English is if. If, so, or when. The words if or when are not healthy. And a moving target, you try and hit it, you miss the target because it's constantly moving. So that's what we do with our life. We say to ourselves, if I graduate college, then, I get, then I'll be happy. Or at least if I get into the right college, I'll be happy. When I leave college, I'll be happy. When I get into a good job, I'll be happy. No, when I get a real job, I'll be happy. No, no, no. When I get my own business, I'll be happy. When I leave this business, I'll be happy. When I sell this business, I'll be happy. When I get married, now I need to get married. So when I get married, I'll be happy. Oh, when I have kids, I'll be happy. You hear what's going on? When I get divorced, I'll be happy. When my kids leave school and they, they leave to college and they leave my home, I'll be happy. When they go independent, I'll be happy. Then we say to ourselves, when I get into pension, I'll be happy. And when I finish my work, I'll be happy. When I have my own uh, servants to help me and serve me, right, then I'll be happy, right? And I don't mean just physical things. It could be robots too. But if I have things that will help me make my life more convenient, then I'll be happy. If, 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 and eventually we go through our entire life and what happens? Boom, life is over. So, happy with where I am. Don't make it a moving target. The sukkah, what we do is we make it a moving target. Sukkah reminds me, be happy where you are. Make it beautiful. Make the space that you're in gorgeous. Rejoice it, sing in it, dance in it. That does not mean, by the way, you can't be ambitious. You can be ambitious with the joy of the place that you're in. It's not a contradiction. It's when I feel like everything I've done till now is ach, and only if ah, then I am failing in my happiness. I am unhappy because I'm thinking of an abstract concept where my happiness will be instead of finding it where I am. So we don't ever think that you can't be ambitious in life. Actually, the person who has a lot is filled with ambition. Okay? The person that... Think about a happy person. Okay? He's really happy with everybody he knows. He's happy with his community. He's happy with his job. He's happy... So what does he do? How does he wake up in the morning? Wow, this is... Like a lion. Like a lion, right? Like last week. So... Wow, this week, this is going to be an amazing new day. I can't wait to meet new people. All the people I met till now are so awesome. I love all the people I meet. I want to meet more. Yes, there's been some uncomfortable moments in the way, but eh, ignore that. Look at all the positive people that I met. Ah, amazing. I want to meet more. Think about somebody who's happy. How does he wake up in the morning like a lion? How does somebody who's sad who's not happy with where they are, who's full of ambitions, but is unhappy with where they are, how do they wake up in the morning? Actually, their ambition falls apart as well. 
So somebody who's happy with what he has finds joy is also filled with ambitions. It's not a contradiction. In fact, the opposite. The more joy you have in the space you're in, the more ambitious you will be to bring in more good into your life. It goes hand in hand. Somebody who's happy with what he has, his lot, also is filled with ambitions. It's not a contradiction. So, um, so number one was we make it a moving target. Number two, we get overly familiar with what we have. We get familiar. We say to ourselves, uh, my eyes, who's thinking about eyes? Ah, my nose, my air, my f- atmosphere, the place that I'm in. The- who's thinking about that? Right? We, that's a, a given. It's taken for granted. And we get overly familiar with what we already have in our lives. So what we've got to do is find a way to not get familiar with the basics that we have. How does Judaism do that? How do we make sure we don't forget our eyes? How do we make sure we don't forget the fact that we go to the bathroom and it works? How do we make sure as Jews that we are thinking about our, or when, as Jews, are we thinking about the fact that we can open our eyes? When are we thinking about the fact that I have clothes to wear? Anyone know? Blessings. Blessings. Gratitude. Hello, that's what gratitude is. <laughs> God needs my gratitude. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need me. He's complete, complete. He's infinite. The gratitude, we have a requirement to make mer brachot. Actually, in the times of David, there was, he instituted started with Moses, but later on with David, um, David HaMelech, he instituted the law that in Judaism we have to have at least 100 blessings a day. (laughs) 100 blessings a day. And why? There was a plague during his time. And in order to stop the plague, this is how he understood through his prophecy that that's what was needed. And ever since, we've done this thing called the 100 blessings a day. Not because it... It, it, because God needs it, because we need it. The plague is that we are plagued in our minds, thinking everything is so bad. Everything is so bad. Eventually, it comes bad, right? We, the plague that we bring on ourselves is because, it's funny, I'm saying the word plague and we're thinking about COVID right now, but it was a similar thing to COVID, which David HaMelech had. I don't know exactly what it was, but it was a plague similar, a natural type of plague. And he managed to stop it spiritually um, through this idea of Me'er Brachot. So anyway, Judaism says gratitude. Gratitude is the number one key to enhancing my happiness um, and recognizing and not getting over familiar what we have. So that's why, by the way, when we came into Israel, the first thing that we needed to do was thank God. And we were told, because maybe you'll say, I did all of this. This time, by the way, of the year, we have Sukkot. One of the reasons that we have Sukkot this time of the year, because we're remembering Egypt. If you're remembering leaving Egypt, this should be, the Sukkot holiday should be immediately after Passover. Seven days of Passover, seven days of Sukkot. Why are we doing Sukkot now? Kind of weird. This is a big question that's asked. One of the ideas is because it's the season of Chag Ha'asif. One of the names of Sukkot is also the holiday of harvest. 
At this time of the year, everyone was harvesting. You have to understand, most of the world, 90% of the world was farming back in the day. Not more than 100 years ago, before the major industries, we, we were, in, right, in, before the Industrial Revolution, we were living in, far, in a world of farming. There was no way of getting a, a, a fresh meat that you could put in your fridge. You have to have a farm with chickens. There was no way that you could have fruits and vegetables coming from Mexico. Who's going to travel and bring it from there? If you didn't have your own farm, you didn't have fresh fruits. And no one's going to store it for you in fridges. You had to grow it on your, in your yard. Everyone was a farmer back in the day. So the way that farming worked is different than it is today. The seasons of joy, like harvest season was the happiest time of the year for the world. And that was when like the least war was going on, most joy, where people were saying, ah, we're busy harvesting our fruits and everyone's happy. Their trees are filled with abundance and they're taking off all their fruits because winter's coming and everyone's just filled with tremendous joy. So that's, that's the time of harvest. Now, in that time, it was also a time to be happy. Why? Because actually, in a time when you harvest is the time where you're most vulnerable to sadness because you get too familiar with the good. You get too comfortable with the good. You say, ah, I did all of this. It's all me. And that's very, very dangerous to humanity. The biggest, that's why according to Judaism, we make a blessing after the meal, not before the meal. You know this? The, the requirement we make before as well, that was instituted by our rabbis and way back. But it, the requirement to make actually a blessing is only after a meal, according to Judaism. You should eat, be satiated and then make a blessing. The mitzvah is only after the meal, not before the meal. The, the requirement in the Torah to make a blessing is only once after you eat bread, after a meal. Why? I saw in Likutei Rashi, one of the explanations, commentaries of Rashi, explains that the reason is because when you're satiated, that's when you're challenged most. It's when you're full. That's when you, not when you're hungry. When you're full and you're satiated, you say, ah, it's all me. I'm the one. I'm better than everyone else. That's the time where you're most challenged with your happiness as well because you start thinking of yourself better than everybody else. So uh, happiness is also recognizing and not getting over familiar with what you have. And when we do, it's dangerous. So that's why at this time of the year, Chag HaSif Sukkot is when we celebrate this holiday of recognizing what we have, our homes. We leave the physical the, the permanent home, enter a temporary home and recognize, look what I have. Don't take it for granted. So um, that was that. That was number two. Number three is, sorry to tell you this, but the media. And now I've got everyone's attention. But listen to this. The Super Bowl charges, probably not anymore because of COVID, but officially charges for every 30 seconds about $5 million. 30 seconds of ads on a Super Bowl is $5 million. How much do advertisers spend a year? I think it's much more today. I did this research about five years ago. I think it's much, much more with Facebook and social media. It's way higher. But $12 billion uh, per year to reach the youth market, just alone. 
and that's uh, they say that children by the time they reach 13 they've watched around 40,000 commercials uh, the the exp the, the the expenses for the US in 2019 for uh, advertising was 240 billion dollars up from 223 billion dollars in 2018 and I bet it's much more think about just for the um, for the politics alone, what's his name? Uh, Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg spent $100 million in Florida. You saw that? $100 million in Florida. So all this money, every time I flick on a video, every time I see something, some kind of product is getting thrown into my face. What does that make me think? What does that make me think? That you need something and you're not perfect. Good. It makes you think that my happiness is out there. If I have that car, I'll be happy because... Look at that car coming up on my screen. Oh, I want that. And I go onto Amazon and I search it and I see it. Oh, it's not that bad. I'll get it and order it. So basically, what happens is we are constantly thinking or trained to thought without even thinking about it. You might tell me, okay, a child, a kid watched 40,000 commercials. Um, not so much. Okay. Who cares? Do you think he's thinking about it? Do you think my kid, Abraham, who's three, when he sees a commercial of, of a toy, do you think it affects him? Do you think it affects him? Of course it does. Do you know why? Because it makes him from a young age think that my happiness is if. My happiness is dependent on the if. If I have this, I'll be happy. If I have that car, I'll be happy. Can you, do you understand how long Coke fooled us into thinking that it's health, like it's good for us to have Coke? Coca-Cola, right? How long we got fooled into thinking that nowadays in America, we understand, right? It's, it's culturally uh, unaccepted to just like randomly drink Coke. Like if I was on a Shabbat table and serving just Coke, people would be like, excuse me, have you got water? They just wouldn't drink it. So it, but it never was like that. We all grew up, Coke was everywhere. Like these fizzy drinks were everywhere, right? Everyone here growing up, yeah, as kids, you didn't have that? Yeah. At, at least me, uh, in England, maybe it's much worse. But even to, till today, I mean, the, the idea that Coke is going to quench your thought, thirst is, yeah, with so much sugar. The half the bottle is sugar. It's, you know, they use Coke to clean stuff. They put it in a spray and you clean. You clean. It, it's, it's insane how we got fooled by commercials into thinking Coke is actually going to quench my thirst. You know, that, that, that wet bottle of Coke. Ah, and it's, it, it's, it's all marketing. And what we've done, billions and billions of dollars have been spent. Do you know how much was spent on the most expensive commercial? And this was in 2004. I believe it's gone up, but there was a commercial by Nicole Kidman on the Chanel five the perfume Chanel 5, she made a commercial, she made uh, $12 million from this ta just one minute, two minute commercial. And actually, I don't know how long it is, but I'm, I believe it's very short. <laughs> and uh, $33 million it costed to make that commercial, the most expensive commercial in history. That's a lot of money for a commercial. So why are they spending so much money on this stuff? Why? Because it works. 
because it does make me think. And it does make people think that if I have this and remind it, if we remind ourselves constantly that if we have this, we will be happy. Now, I'm not angry with the commercial, with the companies because everyone wants to sell their product. This is not a bash against uh, the market system and how people work. It's just how we are affected so much subconsciously by marketing that we don't even know about it. We don't think about it, but we are totally affected by it. So number three was the media. Number four is understanding suffering. Every time, according to Judaism, something goes wrong in my life, the Talmud in Eruchin says that every time I put a coin in my pocket and it's, I try and take out something from my pocket and it's the wrong coin, that's a suffering with a purpose. That's a reason for it. And every time I uh, turn in my key and I get the wrong key, there's a reason for that suffering. Every time I drive my car, reverse it, and I hit my car, and every time, right? The one time that it happened, that I reversed my car and I smashed the back of it, that is a suffering. And it has a purpose. You know how some rabbis would look at it? Every time I put my key in my, in my door and the wrong key comes out, it reminds me that I have a key to a home. Every time I reverse my car and I don't crash it, and the one time in my life I did crash it, it reminds me of all the times I managed to I have a car and I managed to reverse comfortably outside of my driveway with my car. How's that for a thought? I remember... Um, I remember once, I mean, I had a very serious bike accident and went smashing headfirst into a, a, a car with a, thank God I was wearing a helmet, Baruch Hashem, and I, got, and I survived and I'm all, okay, I'm here to tell you the story. But when I went into a car headfirst, I broke my shoulder and my bike split into multiple parts, but I was fine. And I, I got reminded of the fact that I had a bike, a bicycle. And I got reminded about the fact that I have parents and family that care. So there is a purpose in suffering, always. It's hard. It's a hard reality. But Judaism always tries to look, at least, for the purpose of suffering, as opposed to saying, oh, bad luck, or this is just a bad situation. No, there's a purpose in every suffering. COVID right now, there's a purpose how many people have reinvented ideas because of it? How many people are reinventing the world? Uh, the world is going to move in a new direction all because of this challenge and a, in a better way. It's going to, in many ways, progress in much better ways. All because of our challenges. So challenges are platforms for our growth and, and, and depth. Okay, so it, the Talmud says, even when I put a hand in my pocket, take the wrong coin, there's a purpose in it. We don't see it because we're going through the challenge and we pray. God, please, please, every day we're meant to say, don't bring me into a place of challenge. But if we do go through challenges, don't ignore and waste that opportunity. It's a platform for our growth. Number five is what we just said, the lack of gratitude. And starting from Adam, when God said, why did he eat from the apple? He said, well, that woman that you gave me, she told me to do it. So for that, God said, oh, 
that woman I gave you? Yeah, that was a gift. We lack gratitude. We fl we throw when we take away responsibility. We also take away the sense of gratitude and throw it on others. We we put blame on others. We you, you have to understand to be grateful means you in Hebrew lehodot mode ani to say mode to say thank you means that you admit something. You're admitting that you couldn't have done this alone. That takes a lot of humility. So it's not easy to be grateful. You need to be humble. You need to recognize uh, the good in others, which means taking responsibility. In a way, it's a, it's a paradox because you're taking responsibility in recognizing the good of others, but then it means I couldn't have done it myself. I needed you. But that's not a weakness. It's a strength. So the, the last point here is that we lack gratitude. To be grateful is the number one um, key to being happy, and Judaism's all over that, right? We are grateful all the time, and those brachot need to be contemplated when I drink, before I eat, when after I eat, when I go to the bathroom, when I... Someone once asked me, so, you know, there's many religions in the world. What makes Judaism special? So I said, I said, um, I think what makes us unique is our gratitude. The fact that we find happiness even when we go in the bathroom. We wake up, there's a blessing. There's a blessing in every single thing that we do. That's one of the unique values that we have as much as, as, as we have many others, right? The truth to Judaism and the depth to Judaism and everything else. But the, the aspect of our sense of gratitude, our relationship with Hashem in terms of our gratitude is beyond. There's nothing like that outside of Judaism. Yehudim. Yehudim. That's who we are. That is our strength, our, our term of gratitude, right? That's who we are. We give thanks all the time. So starting from Adam, the biggest challenge of mankind is to be grateful. And I think that the lack of gratitude in our life is holding us back from our happiness. So whenever somebody is feeling sad, get yourself a gratitude diary or a journal and start writing yourself every day something that you're grateful for because that will help your happiness. If you feel that your happiness is being stolen from you, grab yourself a gratitude attitude uh, thing and that will help you. Uh, book or leaflet, booklet, whatever. Uh, the last thing I want to tell you is there is this song that was written by Shirley Caesar called No Charge. And it's an old song. Hey! Who's on screen over there? Wow. It's Molly. So the last thing. Hi, Molly. Hi. Baruch Hashem. Good to see you. I know. I haven't seen you in so long. We Sorry, haven't I'm seen you in long. It's okay. We're in our sukkah. Looks like you're in your sukkah mm. too. <laughs> sort of. Amazing. So, um, wow. Oh, my goodness. That's gorgeous. Wow. I see a love sign too. Oh, beautiful. So the, the last thing that I wanted to share with you is this. So I don't know if you've heard of this song, but let me just pull it up. Shirley Caesar, no charge. This is fantastic. So this is how they used to sing back in the day. You know, now we don't sing like that anymore. One second. Here. So listen to the words, the lyrics of this song. You guys can see me? 
You can see me? Okay. So my sister's little boy came in the kitchen one evening whilst she was fixing supper and he handed her a piece of paper he had been writing on. And after wiping her hands on an apron, she took it in her hands and read it. And this is what it said. For mowing the yard, $5. And for making up my own bed this week, $1. So basically, this little kid and her mom, uh, who was the sister of Shirley Caesar, the singer, uh, this little kid, the mum wakes up one morning and finds a note written by her son. And it said like this, for mowing the yard, $5. For making up my own bed this week, please, $1. For going to the store, 50 cents. And playing with little brother while you went shopping, 25 cents. Taking out the trash, $1. And for getting a good report card, $5. And for, take, for raking the yard, $2. Uh, total owed, $114.75. When she looked at him standing there and, and expecting and expecting and a thousand memories flashed through her mind. So she picked up her pen and turned the paper over. And this is what she wrote. For nine months that I carried you, holding you inside me, no charge. For the nights that I sat up with doctored, uh, sat up with doctored you and prayed for you, no charge. For the time and tears and the cost through the years, there is no charge. When you add it up, when you add it all up, the full cost of my love is no charge. For the nights filled with grey and the worries ahead, for the advice and the knowledge and the costs of your college, there is no charge. For the toys, school and clothes and for wiping your nose, there's no charge, son. When you add it all up, the full cost of my love is no charge. When, well, you know when I think about this, I think about that day that, you know who, went out to, oh, well, just leave it there. And my debt was paid in full and I want you to know today, when you add it all up, the full cost of real love is no charge. So we, this is it. This is it. We, we, we think our parents owe us nine months of pregnancy. The, the amount of times that they cooked for us meals before we can cook our own meal. How many, who, when's the first age that you managed to cook your own meal? Who knows when they cooked their first meal, made their own sandwich? Who remembers? Probably the age of nine, eight, maybe, where you made your own meal. And even that is like getting a sandwich out and putting some some uh, cheese on it. My kids do that the age of eight. But really, who like when's the first time you get, you, you're able to put on gas and just make cook your own meal? Yeah, all those years, all those years, somebody else cooked the meals for you. And then we feel entitled to our parents. Mom! You were meant to pay me. You promised me. I'm not talking to you for a year, right? I mean, how can we be so rude as teenagers and so on? And the answer is, is because we lack gratitude. We're not educated with gratitude as well as everything else we said. So those are the thoughts. We make our happiness a moving target. We get over familiar with what we already have. The media that we grew up grow up with, thinking that everything outside of us is going to make us happy, that also challenges our happiness. Understanding suffering, finding a purpose in suffering, is a value in Judaism. Outside of Judaism, why did it happen? Bad luck. So there's no purpose. Well, if there's no purpose, then you're just suffering for no reason, and that's not good. You have to find a joy in the suffering, or at least we're human. It's human, it's not possible to just like dance in, in suffering, but at least see a purpose. Maybe there's a purpose in it. 
and the last thing was a lack of gratitude starting right from the beginning of Adam Harishon we lack the sense of gratitude so by living in this sukkah making the temporary beautiful that reminds me of what I have it reminds me what I have inside and you know what it's not permanent anyway the whole thing is just not permanent it's all temporary anyway and what really matters to me is my connection to Hashem and my long-term happiness and my world to come. Sham Moach, when my mind is seeing beyond the physical, when my mind is seeing behind the sukkah, where it's seeing behind into the stars, because you know, according to Judaism, according to the sukkah, the laws of sukkah, it can't be completely covered in a way that I can't see anything. If it's too thick, if I cover it too much, it's not kosher sukkah. It has to allow me to see the stars as well. Why? Because that's the point of Sukkot. It's me seeing in my house and seeing beyond the house. That the, everything I have is, is just temporary and there's much more to this world than just the physical. When I see just the physical, I am going to be depressed. Period. Because it never is going to make me happy. And if it does, by the time I'm 70, I'm old and I can't even enjoy it fully. Alright, so that's my talk about happiness. And I hope you guys uh, enjoyed. Not really mine. It's taken from Rabbi Rietti, Rabbi Jonathan Rietti. And you should listen to his talks. They're really good. But uh, some stuff there was added, connected to Sukkot. And this is the holiday of happiness. So hopefully you're all very happy and internalizing this beautiful holiday that we're in. Are there any thoughts, ideas, closings? Anything you want to say? That was awesome. I really thought all the ideas were really great. Thank you. Uh, I just have a question. So sure. often, especially um, in our society today, people think that happiness is the ultimate goal right. and the motivation for everything that they do. Um, right. Whereas Judaism, does it think, I mean, I, there's no mitzvah to be happy except for on Sukkot. So it, it isn't the ultimate goal. So what, um, like where does happiness fit into it? And where do, what should our, what is our motivation for everything? Right. So not to be happy. Right. It, I would say that the world's uh, goal is not happiness. Its goal is success. It's not happiness. It's success. Success in, 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 in marriage, it's success in, it's basically being in the most comfortable space that we can be. And that's the opposite of our belief because comfort is decadence. Comfort is actually when you sleep. When you sleep, you're comfortable, but you're not enjoying the situation, right? You, if, you, if you sleep through a vacation, you're not happy. You're just asleep. So comfort is not the goal, but that's, we confuse happiness with success. We think in our world today and today's day and age that our happiness is if I am successful. So don't confuse those two. That's, that's first. Um, not you. I'm just saying in general. Understand that a successful career doesn't necessarily, it, it doesn't buy me happiness. Right? It just won't. I think that's the illusion that people think that success will lead to happiness. Exactly. And, it's, and that's the problem. Happiness is an internal factor. It's a state of mind. 
And it's about appreciating where you have. And we don't, you know, you just, you know, uh, there's a few things here. First is, yes, indirectly, there's no mitzvah to be happy. There's no 613, of the 613 mitzvot, there's no, I can't pinpoint a mitzvah which says, thou shall be happy. There isn't. I've, but, heard, I've heard otherwise, to be honest. Which mitzvah? Which mitzvah is there directly in the Torah, which says, be happy? I was told it's a mitzvah to be happy by another it's, rabbi. There's a song. It's a great mitzvah to be happy. But actually, if you pinpoint the Torah, there's no direct 613 of the 613 mitzvah. There's not one mitzvah which says, I command you to be happy. There's no actual commandment to be happy. So there is two different areas, and that's, that's exactly where I wanted to get to. There is two areas in the Torah where we are told about happiness. I'm trying to find this paper. One is that all our problems, the Judaism says, all our problems will come because we weren't happy. We weren't serving God with happiness. It says, Because you have so much, you don't serve God with happiness. Meaning, and, and then, Parashat Kitavo, it's talking about all the problems that the Jewish people are going to go through. So basically, our problems come because we are not happy. So Judaism wants you to be happy for sure. It wants you to be happy all the time. But there's no direct mitzvah. It says that all your problems can come because you're lacking happiness, but there's no direct mitzvah in itself to make you happy. There is a commandment for us to be happy with all the good that Hashem has given us. And that's talking in, in terms of um, when we go into Israel and we have our fruits. It says, you, the Levite, and all of you have to be happy with the good that God has given you. How do we do that? Through gratitude. So Judaism wants us to, through the experience of the mitzvot, achieve happiness. But the goal in itself is not just to be happy. There's a, there's a greater goal here. The outcome will be that you're happy. Our rabbis teach us that there's, there's what the Chazonish says, that there's no such thing as depression. If you think about it properly, there's no such thing as depression. This is a very interesting statement. The, the goal of Judaism is that through the mitzvot, through connecting to God, I will achieve real happiness. Through, not really, through ex recognizing that this world is only temporary, through um, enjoying the world that I have, the place that I'm in, not pursuing more and more, I will achieve happiness. You have to understand, according to Judaism, there's no forbidden, there's no transgression to be wealthy. It would be forbidden for somebody to be wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's something wrong with being wealthy and not being grateful for the wealth that you have, because that will steal your happiness away from you. So the, the answer is, we don't actually directly say, make yourself happy, make yourself happy, make yourself happy. Because that's not how happiness works. There's a package that we need to work on that will give us the outcome called happiness. 
How could somebody be happy and start dancing when a relative passes away? How? How? Actually, there's a time to dance. There's a time to be sad. There's a time, not to be depressed, but there's a time to be sad. There's, there's a time for everything, Shlomo HaMelech says. I, I, how can you dance? That's actually wrong to be dancing in a time of mourning. There is mourning in Judaism, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm lacking happiness. That actually enhances my happiness because it allows me to learn how to deal with my difficult situation that I'm in. It's, it's an art. It's a lifetime of, of all the aspects that Judaism wants. The brachot, the connecting to Hashem in, in, in faith, emunah. In all the aspects that we have, we will achieve happiness. It's not a direct requirement because it's, it's actually something which you can't grasp. Suddenly challenges fall your way. Suddenly you, you are not in, in the same place as you were. Suddenly somebody lost money. You can't expect them to be as happy as they used to be. Actually, there's a requirement for others to help somebody who used to be wealthy and became poor. We have the requirement to help them before we help a regular poor person. Because that person's suffering more. We, we understand that there's a, there's a concept of people that lost something, people that are sad, people that are unhappy. Judaism's aware of that. According to Judaism, it says that if somebody who's sad loses his prophecy. It says, It says that we, we see that by Jacob, as happy as he was, always happy there's no question about it but when Yosef had Sadiq the righteous Joseph was taken away from him he lost prophecy as well on the level that he was he lost prophecy as well and that's because his a certain sense of joy was lacking I can't even I don't know how I could say that about Yaakov Avinu the, 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 the forefather of the Jewish people but there was a certain sense of lacking and that didn't allow him to have that ser serenity the, the ability to speak to Hashem. So prophecy is taken away from somebody who's not happy. So it so that's why when you say, um, you know, how do we combat it? It's a package. There's no one thing. And and somebody who tells you it's one thing, they're wrong. It's an it, it's a package. There's the mitzvot. There's all the connection to Hashem, bringing God into your life. There's Sukkot. There's Passover, recognizing your past constantly working on all the things that we work on studying Torah wisdom like you said wisdom is such a key component to constantly overcoming our emotion when I pick up all of these things together I'm guaranteed happiness but the, the, uh, the goal isn't directly just saying be happy be happy it's living a certain lifestyle that will lead me to happiness make sense